Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of October 14, 2018. The first item for you this week is a press release from ACB, released on October 11. It says, For immediate release... Contact Anthony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, phone 202-467-5081, A. Stevens, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S, at acb.org. ACB celebrates Marrakesh Treaty being signed, sealed, and soon delivered to WIPO. Washington, October 11, 2018. The Marrakesh Treaty Implementation Act was signed into law by President Trump on Tuesday, October 10th. The treaty now moves to the U.S. State Department to prepare the official diplomatic documents for delivery to Geneva, where it will be deposited at the World Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO, headquarters, joining the list of other ratifying countries committed to expanding access to published works in accessible formats for people who are blind and visually impaired, along with those who are print disabled. Quote, We're excited that the United States has cleared the way to help in ending the global accessible book famine, said ACB President Kim Charlson. It's been a long journey, and we're thankful for the hard work and determination that the publishing industry, lawmakers, and all advocates have demonstrated over the years to get us to this point. The President signed the treaty legislation after coming to his desk with unanimous support from both the Senate and House of Representatives. Treaties typically just require passage by the Senate. However, Congress had to pass additional legislation to assure that U.S. copyright law was aligned with the treaty's language and other participating nations' laws. The new treaty removes copyright constraints when accessing and sharing special format works in Braille, audio, and other accessible formats internationally. Quote, ACB recognizes that nations should not stand in the way of literacy, and the Marrakesh Treaty guarantees that people with disabilities can share equally in that work, said ACB Executive Director Eric Bridges. ACB is humbled to have been at the table since this landmark treaty's inception, and we look forward to working with our counterparts abroad to help expand the availability of published works into the hands of people who are blind all over the world. The treaty was a response to the grave concerns over the cumbersome international copyright laws that have made it difficult to gain access to published works in accessible formats like Braille or audio. Agreed upon in Marrakesh, Morocco, on June 27, 2013, the United States will now join 71 other nations, including the 28 countries of the European Union, who ratified earlier this month. Next, as many of you know, ACB has been concerned with quiet car issues since at least 2007 or 2008. When the American Council of the Blind held its convention here in Louisville in 2008, there was a paper above the fold, 
on the front page of the Courier-Journal concerning our work in quiet cars. Here's an article on that issue. Jaguar is outfitting its electric cars with spaceship-like noises, published on October 12, 2018. This is from thedrive.com. Regulations all over the globe are calling for electric cars to emit noise as they creep along the road at low speeds in order to protect those with vision impairments. The Jaguar I-PACE will begin to be fitted with an audible vehicle alert system in order to alert pedestrians that the SUV is in motion. Jaguar revealed the noises that its new lineup of electric vehicles will emit, and it sounds out of this world. Like all electric cars, the noise emitted while under certain speeds can be difficult for pedestrians to hear, and people who are blind and visually impaired will have a greater difficulty discerning that a vehicle might be traveling in their direction. Because of this, Regulations in the United States and European Union have become the key focus of automakers looking to outfit the future with electric mobility. In the United States, vehicles have until 2020 to comply with the legislation, while the EU has adopted a starting point of 2019. Off. While traveling at speeds less than 18.6 miles per hour, or a slower 13 miles per hour in the EU, the I-PACE will emit a noise above 56 decibels, somewhere between the volume of a refrigerator and an air conditioner. Quote, the absence of traditional engine noise from electric vehicles creates a problem for vulnerable pedestrians, such as the blind or visually impaired, end of quote, said Ian Suffield, a technical specialist at Jaguar, this is especially true at low speeds in town centers and car parks. We developed the Audible Vehicle Alert System for the I-PACE to ensure the safety of all road users. Our potentially life-saving technology cannot be switched off. And as the leading charity for people with sight loss, we are pleased to have the support of guide dogs to ensure real people are at the heart of our product testing. Jaguar said that its staff worked for nearly four years to develop the perfect noise for its vehicles. It claims that the noise, which is emitted from a speaker nested behind the vehicle's front grille, is audible to those outside of the car, yet cannot be heard in the cabin. Sound engineers tested the car in urban environments and even special echo-free chambers to ensure that the noise would be effective. According to Jaguar, initial tests caused pedestrians to look to the sky out of confusion instead of watching out for oncoming traffic. It dropped plans to implement noises that sounded like they were emitted from sci-fi spacecrafts. Instead, it modified the noise and programmed the car to shift the pitch and volume as the vehicle speeded up or slowed down, similar to a car's engine producing different noises based on load. Still, it's hard to say that this doesn't sound like a spaceship.
The 45th Annual Conference and Convention of the Kentucky Council of the Blind is coming up on November 16 and 17 here in Louisville, and President Debbie Dethridge visits with us on page 2 to give us all the details related to the convention. Listen carefully so that you don't miss any of the necessary information needed for registration, exhibit sign-up, hotel reservations, and many other activities at the convention. It's an understatement to say that there has been a lot of attention focused on the Supreme Court over the past few weeks. On page 3, we bring you an article from History.com, which includes seven things that you probably don't know about the Supreme Court. It's very timely, and we hope that you enjoy it. And on page 4 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2. Debbie Dethridge is president of the Kentucky Council of the Blind, and she is getting ready for the state convention that's coming up. She's got us all moving in that right direction. She has the convention committee getting all the plans made, registration's about ready to open. And Debbie, we're going to chat today about some things that people need to keep in mind as the convention gets closer and closer. First of all, Let's just make sure everybody knows what the dates are for this convention. They are the November 16 and 17, Friday and Saturday. And this year we're at a new location. We're at United Crescent Hill Ministry, 150 State Street. And that's where the main activities are going to happen People can still, uh, out-of-town people and even local people that maybe live a ways out but want to be closer so they don't have such a far commute, can make their reservations at the Ramada Inn on Zorn Avenue. Uh, need to be making your reservations pretty quickly. The deadline uh, that they'll hold rooms for us is uh, October 26th. What's that phone number that they can call and make reservations? It's 502-897-5101. 502-897-5101. And when, when people call, they want to be sure and tell them that they are with the Kentucky Council of the Blind because our rate is 79 a night, and that is not per person. That's per room. That's up to four people in a room, and that includes free Wi-Fi and also breakfast next morning. Like if, if you you know get up early and you want to go and grab a cup of coffee and a donut or whatever before you come over to the convention, or uh, if you're there on Sunday morning and you want to get breakfast before you leave to go home, then um, they do have a breakfast area, and they have um, some pretty good breakfast sandwiches and pastries and fruit and things like that. We'll be getting started uh, about noon on Friday. We're going to have a lunch. Um, I think it's uh, chili and soup or mm -hmm. something like that. Chili and, um, chili and grilled cheese sandwiches. And it's going to be called the Lieutenant's Lunch because our theme is KCB The Final Frontier, which is a Star Trek theme. And so our Lieutenant's Lunch is noon on Friday. And uh, as you said, Debbie, it's chili and, and grilled cheese. And then that, that afternoon, we have all kinds of breakouts with technology and so on. And 4 o'clock is going to be a really good general session. Um, I, I think it's going to be real helpful to a lot of people. It's on 
uh, how to how to make your benefits work for you, how to make sure that you don't lose benefits like Social Security and SSI, how that kind of matches up with your Medicaid and Medicare. Sometimes people get themselves in a corner because maybe they don't know um, when something counts toward um, income or when it doesn't count. So um, I think that's going to be a pretty good presentation at 4 o'clock. And then at 5, uh, or well, after we're going to have uh, the Guide Dog Users Group is going to have Ask the Vet mm -hmm. and going to have a vet there. And um, this year we also have another change with exhibits. Uh, they are only going to be Saturday morning uh, from 8.30 to 11.30. Um, and we're not having exhibits two days this year. We're going to have a brunch. Uh, this time, uh, at 11, it's a little different. Instead of just a lunch, there's going to be breakfast and lunch options. Uh, some more breakout sessions in the afternoon. And, um, our, um, banquet speaker, uh, is going to be Brian Charlton from Massachusetts. Kim and Brian are coming in, and we're going to keep them busy. Yeah, we, and we have some really good programming, too. You know, Debbie, when you talk about that change in the exhibits, people are probably thinking, oh, we're not going to get to see as much stuff. We're not going to get to try out as many things. But that exhibit area is, um, as you said, will be open 8.30 to 11.30 on Saturday morning. Kind of overlap with the brunch a little bit because it will give people a chance to um, kind of do their last-minute uh, looking through those exhibits as they come into the room for the brunch as well. Um, but last year and the year before, we had the technology part of our exhibits as uh, as kind of a separate room, but all of those tech exhibitors were kind of in that room, and people could go in there and kind of float around from table to table and and check out what they had. But this year, that's another change, and both on Friday afternoon and Saturday morning, the what would have been technology exhibitors like Lab Computer and HIMS and um, APH, those exhibitors will actually be doing uh, a, a breakout session, a concurrent session, where you can go in the room and sit down and talk with the person who's there, like um, if you're interested in magnifiers and you want to see the Eschenbach magnifiers, Brian Gomer will be there to show you those and you won't have to be interrupted by a lot of um, people at another table or whatever. You'll be able to really try it out. Mike Tyndall is coming with hymns and you'll be able to get your hands on the um, the note takers that they sell, the low vision devices that they sell, and actually have time to try them out. If you've got a note taker or you've got an, a product from one of those companies and you need some help with it, you'll be able to bring it and they'll have time to help you some with it too. You might have you know, questions on, well, how do I do a particular uh, function on, on this product? And and so it'll give the individuals a lot more time to try things out. 
um, you know, another really cool thing we're going to have for people to try are the IRA glasses. And we'll have a session uh, about the IRA glasses. A lot of other neat tech sessions will be coming up, too. So um, there's just so many opportunities that come to, with technology. And, of course, uh, at the banquet, you know, we're going to have our usual fried chicken that everybody always likes. So. Oh, yes, and ham, too. Fried chicken, fried chicken and ham and uh, mashed potatoes and, and uh, you know, veggies and salads. And I think it's pecan pie and pumpkin, pumpkin pie for dessert. So, you know, that banquet is going to be really good. Yeah, and of course, uh, Mike uh, McCarty uh, on Friday night is going to give us a really interesting uh, talk uh, about uh, one of the characters in Star Trek. Um, yes, uh, the Geordi Jordy character in Star Trek was a blind character, and Mike will actually be talking about how the technology... Um, that started out the technology that was then very science fiction on the Enterprise at the beginning of the Star Trek uh, series, the first, the original series. How that's kind of all um, come to be, and now we're sort of living it. And uh, in addition, he'll talk about Geordi and how Star Trek dealt with the blind character, how they, how they treated the blind character as far as how he um you know rose up through the kind of rose through the ranks and um that you know they didn't just cure him and a lot of times tv shows just kind of cure the blind character and make it all oh isn't it wonderful now he can see but they they addressed the blind character the blindness with technology and so mike's gonna be talking about that he'll be the friday night speaker and that dinner is called Captain Kirk's Dinner. Um, can't imagine where we came up with that name. No. <laughs> and, uh, and the menu for that is lasagna and garlic bread and salad and dessert. It's going to be really good. Oh, yeah. I and, mean, true KCB, everybody's like, y'all, all y'all do is eat. That's right. That's and right. And we are going to eat very well. Yes, we are. And let's while we're talking about food, let's just talk a little more about that brunch on Saturday because we've never done a brunch. And what we usually do is a lunch, kind of a working lunch, with uh, having the KCB business meeting and elections, right, with that lunch. Well, this year it's a working brunch. And the, it is the commander's brunch, and it's going to be um, – eggs and bacon and sausage and hash browns and biscuits and just all kinds of yummy food. And if you don't like eggs, tenders, I think. Mm-hmm. yes, if you don't like eggs, there'll be options for you. You don't have to eat eggs. So um, there will be breakfast options and then a lunch option or, or two. So it will be really, really good. And we hope it's popular because, um, it, it, you know, somebody came up with that idea, and um, it just seemed like that would really um, add to that morning and afternoon. And I guess people are probably saying, well, when are you going to have your general sessions? Well, there's going to be some. That that benefit session is on, sa on Friday afternoon. But th the main portion of the general sessions is Saturday after the brunch, there will be general sessions, and then there will be more um, breakouts after the general session. But there's going to be some really 
good programming in that general session and we'll be putting the whole um, program up online uh, but also in our registration material there will be uh, details as far as some of the presentations in that general session. Cora McNabb, for example, is coming and she's the new executive director of the combined agency, the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. Um, we're going to have uh, a presentation uh, on what life is like in the Middle East and we're going to get to see some of the money that countries in the Middle East produce that's accessible. Uh, you don't have to, you know, be able to see it in order to identify the different money. So th there's a lot of interesting sessions. We'll have the ACB update in there with Brian. Um, just uh, a very nice uh, group of general session topics. And something new, another thing new this year, a lot of changes this year, mm -hmm. is for the first time, we're going to be uh, able to offer continuing education credits. We just got approved to do that. Yes, and and that's really going to be a benefit to people who need the credits for either um, low vision uh, certification or their O and M certification. Um, the uh, technology certification. There'll be lots of technology because. Um, we'll have all these tech uh, breakouts. There's going to be a lot for low vision people this year. And, you know, Debbie, that's also a change. Right. Because KCB really has not, um, a lot of times in the past, had um, much for people with low vision. And, and this time we are going to have quite a few things um, beginning even the first breakout on Friday afternoon. Barbara Pentagor is going to be coming from the Talking Book Library to the Tri-State Library Users Meeting, and she has some updates about KTBL that will be of interest to people with low vision. So um, quite a few things. We're hoping to have a session sponsored by the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision um, and have a low vision specialist there to talk about the importance of lighting and other things. Um, lots of, just lots of low vision things. It's a, that's, that is also a change. So the, uh, um, and I think we're also, aren't we doing online this year or something? Yes. yes, on the online registration we'll have, um, the registration will be opening soon. And so people need to watch for their registration mailer. And you can, as in the past, you can either register on the paper form and mail in your form with your check, or you can look through the form, decide what you want to do, and then call and register with your credit card. Or this year, we're going to be um, opening, if all goes well, and it looks like it's going to be just fine, um, you will for the first time be able to register online. And Debbie, let's talk a little bit about the the change in the registration itself as well. Um, they're going to be able to buy a package this year and, and not have to purchase all the individual tickets. Right. It's going to be $30 for one day mm -hmm. or 
for everything for the whole weekend. And for those that are out of town, uh, there's going to be a stipend, I believe it's $75. Mm-hmm. And for those in town, there's going to be a $25 stipend. And at the time of registration, you would just tell us or mark that you would like that. Right. And you have to attend both days in order to be eligible to receive the stipend. Um, if you register after November 10, um, then uh, the uh, the fee goes up to 35 per day or 60 for the two days. So you want to be sure and get pre-registered, if at all possible, and um, uh, that will that will be uh, available. It's uh, the registration forms will be going in the mail toward the end of this week. Um, let's go back to that continuing education just a, just a minute too. Um, with the continuing education credits, uh, the, any person interested in those will be able to purchase a continuing education package of three credits, would add up to three credits, for $30, or uh, for five credits, it would be $50. And um, that you can do that on your registration form. Uh, it really helps if if you do that on your registration form because that will let us know, um, you know, that what wh- how we can best help the uh, help out with the CE credits. Um, we will then be able to get the information to the person in ad- in advance. Um, but if that is not possible, then we will work with people. This is our first year doing this, and so. Um, you know, it will also be possible to uh, register for those credits on site. So we're looking forward to having everyone there. Hope uh, everyone is uh, has that date on their calendar, or we'll put it on their calendar. And looking to have a good time. Oh yes, plan to come, be there for lunch to start out at noon on Friday, and and stay with us for the whole time. Um, we have one more activity that we haven't talked about yet. Oh, yes, that's the Friday night, uh, the auction. It is. In on Saturday, and yes. we're moving it to Friday this year, yes. so some of our out-of-town people can participate. Yes. And that's going to be Friday around 8 or 8.15 after we uh, do our uh, session on Friday night. Right. And so plan to come and have a great time at that auction, too. Darren Harbor is going to be the auctioneer again. And He's always entertaining. Oh, my goodness. He is he is absolutely entertainment himself, you know. So um, I, think, I think it's going to be a great weekend. Um, one other note that we might want to include for those who are thinking about staying at the hotel is that you're thinking, well, okay, so I'm at the hotel, so how am I going to get back and forth? Um, it's about six minutes, wouldn't you say, a six- or seven-minute ride yeah. from the hotel to UCHM. And KCB will be uh, making available Uber and Lyft transportation upon request. We won't have a specific time that and Uber will kind of be there just sitting around waiting for somebody to come. Instead, uh, if if the 
uh, person needs transportation, they'll give us a call and we'll send a ride to pick them up. Um, we found at Crossroads that there were most people, uh, there were well, at least there were several people there at the hotel that had cars, and people uh, kind of rode with other people. But we did utilize that transportation some, and it worked well. It's it's there for people uh, who need it. If you are in Louisville and you live pretty far and you don't want to be on a TARC 3 for an hour or hour and a half trying to get into the convention or trying to get home on Friday night and get up early on Saturday morning and come back in. If, you know, if you're out pretty far, then you might want to consider finding a couple of other people and staying over Friday night uh, in the hotel. It just saves a lot of time and um, it does, and we yeah, and we'd be glad to help with the transportation to get you, you know, to the to UCHM. So uh, again, let's give them the hotel number to call if you want to make reservations. It's five zero two eight nine seven five one zero one. And if you want to call KCB and ask questions, our phone number is five zero two eight nine five four five nine eight. If you are uh, an individual who would like to exhibit and you haven't gotten a call or talked with us or um, you have not uh, seen our exhibit information yet, you can go to our website at kentucky-acb.org and you can see all the details about becoming an exhibitor. Um, if you want to give us a phone call and request that that information be sent to you, um, you can do that too. We'd be more than happy to send you the information and the form. So just looking forward to having everybody there. Debbie, it's going to be a great weekend. It is, and looking forward to seeing everyone there. APH's Nearby Explorer is a full-featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings, including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store. Send to Braille is a free tool for creating a Braille file quickly in Windows. It adds a shortcut to your Send to Folder menu. Once installed, simply point to a file, right-click, select Send to, select Braille, to create a quick Braille file instantly. Download Send to Braille from the American Printing House for the Blind at tech.aph.org lt. APH offers the easy-to-use Wilson Digital Recorder version 6. Holds up to 12 hours of messages. Choose higher voice quality with less recording time or more recording time with lower voice quality. Now has the ability to check the number of saved messages. For the Wilson Digital Recorder, call the American Printing House for the Blind toll-free 800-223-1839 or visit shop.aph.org. Want to read digital talking books, download podcasts, and make superb recordings all while on the go? Now you can with APH's BookPort Plus. 
Its small size, quality recording, and unique capabilities make BookPort Plus an ideal replacement for earlier digital talking book players or inaccessible commercial recorders. Call the American Printing House for the Blind toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org. Page 3. Seven Things You Might Not Know About the U.S. Supreme Court from History.com Find out seven surprising facts about the nation's highest court, how it works, and how it's changed over the years. By Elizabeth Nix Number 1. The court was around for 145 years before it got a permanent home of its own. The court convened for the first time in February 1790 in New York City, then the nation's capital. From 1791 to 1800, it assembled in Philadelphia, which served as the capital while Washington, D.C. was under construction. Starting in February 1801, the court began meeting in Washington, where it occupied various sites in the Capitol building for more than a century. After the British burned the Capitol in 1814, the court even temporarily met in a private home. In 1929, at the urging of Chief Justice William Taft, Congress authorized some $9.74 million to erect a building the court could call its own. The marble structure, in use since 1935, was designed by architect Cass Gilbert Sr., whose projects included New York City's Woolworth Building, the world's tallest skyscraper from 1913 to 1930, along with several state capitals and other public works. Today, the building features its own police force, as well as a top-floor gym with a basketball court nicknamed the highest court in the land. Shooting hoops and lifting weights are banned while court is in session, however. Number two, there haven't always been nine justices on the court. The U.S. Constitution established the Supreme Court, but left it to Congress to decide how many justices should make up the court. The Judiciary Act of 1789 set the number at six, a Chief Justice and five Associate Justices. In 1807, Congress increased the number of justices to seven. In 1837, the number was bumped up to nine, and in 1863, it rose to ten. In 1866, Congress passed the Judicial Circuits Act, which shrank the number of justices back down to seven and prevented President Andrew Johnson from appointing anyone new to the court. Three years later, in 1869, Congress raised the number of justices to nine, where it has stood ever since. In 1937, in an effort to create a court more friendly to his New Deal programs, President Franklin Roosevelt attempted to convince Congress to pass legislation that would allow a new justice to be added to the court for a total of up to 15 members for every justice over 70 who opted not to retire. Congress didn't go for FDR's plan. Number three, there are no official qualifications for becoming a Supreme Court justice. The Constitution spells out age citizenship and residency requirements for becoming president of the United States or a member of Congress, but mentions no rules for joining the nation's highest court.
To date, six justices have been foreign-born. The most recent, Felix Frankfurter, who served on the court from 1939 to 1962, was a native of Vienna, Austria. The youngest associate justice ever appointed was Joseph Storey, who was 32 years old when he joined the bench in 1811. Associate Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., who served from 1902 to 1932, retired at age 90, making him the oldest person ever to sit on the court. One thing every justice who served shares in common is that all were lawyers prior to joining the court. During the 18th and 19th centuries, before attending law school was standard practice, many future justices got their legal training by studying under a mentor. James Burns, who served on the court from 1941 to 1942, was the last justice who didn't attend law school. Burns, who also didn't graduate from high school, worked as a law clerk and later passed the bar exam. Harvard has produced more members of the court than any other law school. To date, 20 justices have attended or graduated from that venerable institution, which was established in 1817 and is America's oldest continually operating law school. 4. Justices are appointed for life, but can be impeached. Associate Justice William O. Douglas put in 36 years and 7 months on the bench, from April 1939 to November 1975, the longest tenure of any justice in the court's history. Douglas's successor, John Paul Stevens, was part of the court from December 1975 to June 2010, making him the third longest-serving justice. Stephen Johnson Field, who served from 1863 to 1897, comes in second. Although they are appointed for life, more than 50 have chosen to retire or resign. That number has included the likes of John Jay, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., Charles Evan Hughes, Earl Warren, Thurgood Marshall, and, more recently, William Rehnquist and Sandra Day O'Connor. Only one justice ever has been impeached, Samuel Chase, in 1804. The U.S. House of Representatives voted to impeach Chase, an outspoken figure accused of acting in a partisan way during various court proceedings. However, the U.S. Senate acquitted him in 1805, and he remained on the bench, where he had served since 1796 until his death in 1811. Number 5. William Howard Taft is the only person to have served as U.S. President and on the court. Taft served as America's 27th President from 1909 to 1913, during which time he appointed five associate justices and one chief justice. After losing his bid for re-election, Taft, a graduate of Yale University and Cincinnati Law School, and a judge for the U.S. Court of Appeals prior to his presidency, went on to teach law at Yale and serve as head of the American Bar Association, among other activities. In 1921, Following the death of Chief Justice Edward Douglas White, whom Taft had appointed when he was in the White House, President Warren Harding appointed Taft as White's replacement. As the court's 10th Chief Justice, 
Taft successfully advocated for the passage of the Judiciary Act of 1925, which enabled the justices to choose which cases they wanted to hear. Today, the court follows the so-called Rule of Four, by which at least four justices must vote to grant a petition to review a case before it can be heard by the court. Taft served as Chief Justice until February 1930, when he resigned due to poor health. He died the following month. Number 6. George Washington appointed the most justices to the court. The President of the United States has the sole power to nominate Supreme Court justices whenever there are openings on the court, and each nomination must be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. George Washington made 11 appointments to the court, while Franklin Roosevelt made the second highest number of appointments, 9. Only three presidents besides Andrew Johnson did not make appointments. William Henry Harrison, who died in 1841, a month after his inauguration, Zachary Taylor, who passed away in 1850, 16 months after taking office, and Jimmy Carter. To date, presidents have submitted 160 nominations, including nominations for Chief Justice. Of that total, 124 were confirmed, with seven of them opting not to take the job. America's 10th President, John Tyler, who assumed office after the death of William Henry Harrison, made nine nominations while in office from 1841 to 1845. But the politically unpopular Tyler managed to get just one of those nominations confirmed by the Senate. Number 7. In recent years, the court has received some 10,000 annual requests to review cases, but here's only about 80. The justices usually only take on cases involving significant legal principles or cases in which lower courts have disagreed about the interpretation of federal laws. Most of the court's cases come to it on appeal from lower federal courts and state courts. However, the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction, the right to hear a case for the first time, before any appellate review in a few instances, such as cases involving ambassadors or disputes between two or more states. Because the justices primarily hear cases on appeal, it's uncommon for witnesses or evidence to be presented in court. Instead, attorneys submit written legal arguments, briefs, in advance, and justices typically listen to oral arguments, in which each side has 30 minutes to make a presentation, during which the justices can ask questions. The courtroom is open to the public during oral arguments, which are not allowed to be televised or photographed. Since 1955, the court has made audio recordings of oral arguments, which are released after the arguments are over. The justices later meet in private to discuss and vote on each case. In the event of a tie vote, the decision of the lower court is upheld. Page 4. The Sound Prince Calendar. On October 19, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold a roundabout from 3.30 until 10 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. 
From 3.30 to 5, there will be iPhone tips, orbit reader practice, and other individual activities. From 5 to 6, we'll have a guest speaker. Paula Weiss from Lexington will be speaking about styles and fashions for both men and women. 6 to 7 is dinner. 7 to 10 is games and crafts. To sign up, call 502-895-4598. On October 20, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired will have a booth at the Special Needs Expo in Owensboro from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Stop by their booth at the Owensboro Christian Church to learn more about visual impairment and savvy. On October 20, the American Printing House for the Blind Museum will sponsor Halloween Mask Making from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Use tactile materials to make scary and friendly Halloween masks and headdresses. Free, but registration is required for ages 6 and up. Call 502-899-2213. On October 21, the Kentucky School for the Blind alumni will hold a board meeting at 8 p.m. by telephone. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. On October 22, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will have its membership call at 7 p.m. Eastern Time by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On October 24, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have its peer support group meeting in Lexington from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office. 1093 South Broadway. For more information, call 859-259-1834. On October 25, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its next support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. We'll be working on several activities, including dialing telephones and using those skills for other applications as well. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On October 26, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired will have a workshop on heart-supported living grants from 10 a.m. to noon Central Time. The speaker will be Michaela Morrison. It will be at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Boggess at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. On October 26th, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its next roundabout, Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5, Tip Sheet from 5 to 5.30, Page Turners, 5.30 to 6, Dinner, 6 to 7, Next Generation Activity, beginning at 7 p.m., and Games and Halloween Treats from 7 until 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On October 28, ACB Families will have a support group meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712 712- Four three two thirty nine hundred and entering code seven nine six zero nine six. Looking ahead to November, on November one, the American Council of Blind Lions will have its next monthly conference call meeting for blind lions from around the country. 
This is an excellent opportunity to share ideas about how to be involved in local clubs and to find out what blind lions in other clubs are doing. At 9 p.m. Eastern Time, call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. On November 2, GLCB will have a roundabout education and technology from 3.30 to 5, discussion time 5 to 6. The topic will be preparing for chapter and KCB elections by discussing the duties of officers, directors, and members. Dinner is 6 to 7 and will be carried out from the Louisville East Lions Club Chili Supper. Then there will be games and crafts from 7 to 10. Please call to sign up at 502-895-4598 and be sure to let us know if you would like for us to order carryout for you from the Chili Supper. On November 4, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its committee meetings. The Advocacy Committee meets at 7 p.m. Eastern and the Education, Activities, and Technology Committee at 8 p.m. Eastern by conference call at 605 Four seven five six zero zero six. Enter code two nine four 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 four. On November sixth, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its monthly conference call support group meeting at eight p.m. This meeting is open to individuals statewide who are experiencing low vision. You are encouraged to come and ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. Call. 669-900-6833 and access 3572-595-193. Please note that this is a new telephone number for this event. On November 8th, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have an in-person support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On November 9 is the GLCB Roundabout and Bingo. Education and Technology from 3.30 to 5. Discussion 5 to 6. Dinner 6 to 7. And Bargain Table at 7 p.m. Bingo 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On November 10, GLCB will hold its board meeting at 11 a.m. by telephone. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. Also on November 10 is Reclaiming the Dream, Rehabilitation for Blinded Veterans in World War I, 1 to 3 p.m., this Veterans Day program honors the soldiers, sailors, and airmen who returned home from their service during the War to End All Wars with damaged vision. These young men encountered a system unprepared for the nature of their wounds and uncertain about the role of the nation in rehabilitating a blinded soldier. The program explores the birth of modern rehabilitation in field hospitals behind the lines and the Evergreen Army Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, and reveals how the sinking of the Lusitania impacted the story. You will meet a modern dog guide team and explore the beginnings of the dog guide movement. Veterans of modern-day conflicts 
who will contrast their own incredible experience with the doughboys and swabbies who survived the Great War. Best for older children and adults. Pre-registration required at the American Printing House for the Blind, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. Phone 502-899-2213 to sign up. On November 12, KCB Next Generation will hold its conference call meeting at 8 p.m. by phone. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. On November 12, ACB Families will have its monthly meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796096. On November 13, the Support Alliance for the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its regular meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. in Owensboro. The speaker is Gary Cusick, Ph.D., Kentucky Licensed Clinical Psychologist. There will also be elections for president, vice president, and two directors at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418. November 14 is the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind Conference call. It's at 7 p.m. Eastern. The number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155619. November 14 is the KCBPR Membership Committee. Me no, that's wrong. Ooh, Adam, that should be moved. This belongs at November 7. November 7 is the KCB PR Membership Committee meeting. This is a changed date for this meeting in November. The time is 8 p.m. and the call-in number is 669-900-6833. The code is 3572-595-193. Now, November 16 and 17 is the KCB State Conference and Convention. Enjoy workshops, programs, exhibits, food, and friends. The convention is at the United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Out-of-town guests stay at the Ramada Inn, 1041 Zorn Avenue. Make reservations by October 26. Sponsored by the Kentucky Council of the Blind. For more information, call... 502-895-4598 or visit kentucky-acb.org. November 18 is the KSB Alumni Board Meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. November 19 is the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board Meeting at 7.30 p.m. on the Zoom line at 669-900-6833, enter code 3572-595-193. November 24 is the Thanksgiving Open House from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. Plan to bring family and friends to APH's one-of-a-kind museum. Visitors can write their names in Braille, see a book from Helen Keller's Bible, Learn about guide dogs, play games, and read books designed for children who are blind and enjoy many other activities 
in the APH award-winning museum. Holiday goodies and hot cider will be served. For all ages, call 502-899-2213 to sign up. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody. Well, I'm